This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We have been doing something a little bit different this month. For those that have been here and been tracking along, if you're just coming for Easter Sunday, just a, a very special welcome this morning. But we're actually going to pick up on a series that we've been doing called Paid in Full. And we're going to carry on with the, the story a little bit today, and I'm going to carry it on again next week. Uh, and next Sunday, we're going to do just a special time of communion together as a church family. Um, and so I wanted to just jump in this morning to this series, Paid in Full. And for those that have been tracking, we know we've been landing on one key verse. It's in John chapter 19, verse 30, and I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to have it on the screen behind so you can read along with us. And it says this, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Say, it is finished. Come on, say it like you mean it. It is finished. Awesome. And he, bowing his head, gave up his spirit. And interestingly enough, the three words of English is actually one word in Greek, and it's the word tetelestai, which literally means paid in full. All done, taken care of, completely done. And one of the things that I've been pondering as I've been preparing for this Sunday is, is what modern day analogy could I share that would help every single person in this room understand this concept? And I've landed on one. Are you ready? Are you ready? I have taken great pain and great time to process through this deep thought for you this morning. Are you ready? This is special. Aren't you glad you're sitting down? And I can, when I say it, I want you to do one of two things for me, depending on your situation. Either say amen or say oh my. But it's one of the two, and we're going to find out very quickly what situation you are in as soon as I say it. Are you ready? There's no greater way to understand this concept of tetelestai paid in full like finances. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got one. We got one amen. That's so, <laughs> so good. Can you preach the message? Uh, no kidding. All right. Because uh, most of us are oh my the whole way, right? And so I want to share with you this morning some incredibly encouraging st- statistics that I found uh, this week that I thought was, you know, would make us feel very, very. Um, happy and full of joy and at peace, all of those thoughts. So, Canadian debt statistics as of December 2018, are you ready? I can feel it this morning. We're excited to be in church. All right. Household debt reached $2.158 trillion in Canada, up 3.5% last year. Can we say, oh my. All right. Debt to income ratio reached $1.78. That means for every dollar you earn, you pay out $1.78. Say, oh my. Okay, all right. Mortgage debt reached $1.5 trillion, up 3.2% from last year. The total home equity line of credit reached $292.3 billion, up 4.5% from last year. Total consumer debt in Canada reached $624.4 million. Out, say oh my. Okay. 44% of Canadians, that is... I don't know, if we have like 200 people in here, that's a lot, okay? It's a lot of people. It's 88 people out of the 200. 44% of Canadians are $200 a month or less away from financial insolvency. 
That's scary. And to really just get really encouraging, positive encouraging, Kayla, the average Canadian's consumer non-mortgage debt is $15,473, and the average credit card balance is $4,154. That is as of December of 2018. And then I looked into it, and I thought, you know, I'd love to find out why do we get into so much debt? And so there's another study that actually, by Loans Canada, that actually shared with us five main reasons why we get in debt as Canadians. Number one, we abuse credit cards. Everyone look down. We miss payments. Of course, we have to pay interest. That's never good. We spend more than what you can afford. That never happens, ever. I'd never seen that before. Uh, Not having a financial cushion to fall back on. Number four for some people. And not being disciplined with your money, of course, of which no one would ever own up to that. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Okay. All right. But as I looked further into this, I wanted to find out what were the emotional or psychological effects of financial debt on the average human being. And there's been some incredible studies about this. But I actually landed on a study done by a doctor by the name of John Gathersgood. And the reason I landed on him is because he works at the University of Nottingham. And I thought, Robin Hood, come on. Like, is there no better study and doctor to get this information from than the guy that personally knows Robin Hood at University of Nottingham, the guy that takes from the rich and gives to the poor? Come on, say, oh my. So the eight characteristics or eight um, uh, emotional effects of financial debt on every person is in this order. Depression, resentment, denial, stress, anger, frustration, regret, Shame, embarrassment, fear, and I think we get the point. I'm now done with the embarrassing bad news, all right? Everyone say amen. The reason why this is huge is because think about what you process through when you're in financial debt. Think about the thoughts that you go through. Think about the pain, the frustration, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, the fears. Some of us, it's the shame and the embarrassment, but the reality is is when you are in financial debt, you feel something constantly. It was interesting, statistic, when I read that point number four in stress, the actual total percentage, this was a study that was done uh, actually through Harvard Harvard, uh, University in the U.S. two years ago, and the statistics said that 71% of students graduating uh, university or college are stressed out because of financial worry. 71%. It's not setting us up for success, is it? But I have a question for you. What would you do if this week you received a certified letter from the president of your bank saying this, I've got some great news. I've just had a visit with someone who loves you very much, and he knew all about your debt, your credit card problems, your mortgage payments, and all your line of credits, and he would like to pay off your house, your line of credit, your credit cards, and everything else in full. Please come by at your earliest convenience and sign the agreement to complete the transaction. Here's the question. How long would it take you to get to the bank? I would get in my vehicle and the first thing I would do is pray, Jesus, look the other way. And and speak to every cop in the city to look the other way. And Lord, remove the cars off of Taylor Kid, and part them like the Red Sea. I know you can do it, Lord. Part them like the Red Sea so that I can go right to TD Canada Trust. 
right in the Rio Can Center as fast as possible. And I think we would all say, yeah, yeah, I get that. But I have news for you this morning. That letter was already sent. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, it says this, you were spiritually dead. One version of this says you were spiritually indebted because of your sins and because you are not free from the power of your sinful self. But God made you alive with Christ and God forgave all your sins. Verse 14, I love this. We owed a debt because we broke God's laws. How many said, yeah, we, yeah. That debt listed all the rules we failed to follow. But God forgave us that debt, the debt listed, or sorry, He took away that debt and nailed it to the cross. God defeated the spiritual rulers and powers. And with the cross, God won the victory and defeated them. He showed the world that they were powerless. How many excited this morning that your debt of sin and of pain and of suffering and of shame and regret and mistakes and disappointments has been paid for by Jesus Christ? Not a little bit, but in full this morning. Amen? Jesus isn't necessarily in the financial business per se, but man, He is in the forgiveness business. And if you're here this morning and you just feel like there's a lack of peace in your life because you're just stewing with something, you're, you're worried about something, you're fearful about something, you're just you know, in anxiety over things that you seem to never be able to get over and get through, know today that Jesus has paid your debt in full. He is here this morning. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to release you from the pain of all of that past. And He wants to give you a new hope and a new future this morning. That's His heart for you. If you believe that, say amen. Interestingly enough, those eight emotional characteristics of people that live in financial debt are the exact same eight that someone who's far from God deals with all the time. How do I know? Because that's where I was. And all eight of them kept coming back. Sometimes they'd come at four or five at a time. Sometimes it was just one at a time, but they were always there. But you have to understand this morning, your life has sin has been paid for. That's what tetelestai means. It's paid in full. It's fully done. It's complete. Your life of depression, frustration, anger, resentment, shame, and fear is paid for because of what Jesus did. Not just because of what He did on the cross, but because there's now an empty tomb. He's resurrected. And He's sitting at the right hand of the Father praying and believing God for you. Forgiveness is yours this morning. Freedom is yours this morning. Just reach out to Jesus Christ this morning and take it. Amen? It's interesting when, he, when Jesus was on that cross and He literally declared tetelestai, it was a declaration of victory. It was a declaration of redemption. It was a re- declaration of redemption that every single thing that has, has happened, will happen, and will forever happen has been fully, finally, and forever accomplished in Christ Jesus. That's the hope of the cross this morning. Amen? One of my favorite missionaries, I love to read stories about Hudson Taylor, but it was a famous missionary to China, has this quote that I want to read this morning with you. It says, There dawned upon me the joyous conviction that since the whole work was finished and the whole debt was paid upon the cross, there was nothing for me to do but to fall upon my knees except the Savior and praise Him forevermore. That's my heart for each of you this morning, that, that it wouldn't just result in gratitude, but it actually would result in surrender. Surrender to the One who's paid it all.
exactly what we sung this morning. I know we each have a story. Each of us have a story. Unfortunately, my story is riddled with uh, regrets and things that I would love to have a do-over on. I'm not standing before you this morning because I am a perfect person. As a matter of fact, I'm far from it. But what I can say to you this morning is I'm a person that understands the depth of the grace and the mercy of God. And I know what He paid for. And I know that He was thinking of me when He was on that cross. And He was thinking of you when He was on that cross. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and I'm going to read it in the Living Bible this morning, and it says this, For God took the sinless Christ, that was Him, Jesus, and poured into Him our sins. All of it. Then in exchange, He poured God's goodness into us. How many like that deal? That was the letter from the president of your bank. Hey, how about I take all of your junk, all of your debt, all of your frustration, all of your sin, all your suffering, all your pain, and you can have my goodness. I don't know about you, but I like that. I know that if that letter physically came in the mail, and I got it in the mail on Tuesday because I know they're close more, but if I physically got that letter from my, the president of my bank, from TD, on Tuesday... I would be at the bank really quick. I can tell you that much. But I'll tell you, there's a couple of things that I would feel right away. Number one, I'd feel relief. (laughs) Right? I would feel freedom. I would feel joy. But I'm going to tell you a thought and a feeling that that I would experience that I believe most people are looking for and longing for is I would feel peace. And this is what Jesus came for. We can celebrate Resurrection Sunday not just because of looking back, but actually experiencing the very peace that He brought into our lives. And that's still here for you today. If you've ever had significant financial debt, you know the pressure that you feel. You know that the anxiety that that pressure creates in you. And anybody in that season of their life just wants peace. Anyone just wants that. I want to look at that verse that we just read, and I'm going to look at it in a completely different version, and I'm going to do it for a reason, and I'm going to kind of draw out a couple of thoughts from this verse that the original languages actually give away, and I want you to think about the concept of not just what Jesus has done, but how we can actually live that out in our lives. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation now. It says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I did a little bit of study this week, and I was kind of diving into some of the original language. And for those that are maybe new to the to church or to the Bible, the original languages um, in the Old Testament were Hebrew, and in the New Testament was Greek and Aramaic. And in this particular part, it was actually Greek. And so once you kind of dive into the original languages, you start to realize the significance of certain words and its meaning. So when it says, so that we could be made right with God through Christ, this actual word, made right, literally means to come into existence. So before you've come to Christ, you actually really don't fully exist the way God sees it. But when you make a decision to say, Jesus, I'm putting you first. Jesus, I'm going to live for you. Then in that moment, your life begins. 
peace begins, joy begins, all of those other things begin. The word uh, through or in in other translations literally means place of rest. Your life begins in Christ. What does it begin? A place of rest. What does rest produce? Peace. How many are tired of the battle? Come on, let's be honest this morning. How many are tired of the same old, same old all the time? How many are tired of getting up in the next morning and it's the same battle and you've know, you got to go through the same stuff and it's the same frustration and you just want to break? Right? How many want somebody to call you up and say, hey, I have a timeshare in Hawaii for seven years. Do you want it? Lord, you heard my prayer. Yes. And that's what some of us think. But you have to understand, you don't need Hawaii to have peace. Because Jesus already paid it. He's already provided that peace. Through or in Christ, we can have that peace. Tetelestai is a declaration of peace. The old is gone. The new has come, as 2 Corinthians 5 also says. The old debt of sin is gone, and a new life of peace has begun. John uh, literally writes down these words that Jesus describes in his last couple of months before he was coming to the cross. And in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus speaking to his followers, and he says this, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace, not the kind of fragile peace given by the world but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. This word peace that's directly translated here literally means rest, quietness, a state of internal tranquility. How many want that? Right? It means the spiritual harmony brought about by an individual's restoration with God. It also means safety, security, unity, and prosperity. That's the actual definition. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, man, it'd be great to find kind of a a story that's connected to the Easter story that actually kind of accentuates this whole thought of Jesus in peace. And we already know he's described as the Prince of Peace, but um, when I was thinking about this, I landed on the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, for those that don't know, is the most messianic of any books in the Old Testament. And interestingly enough, that the word peace or the concept of peace is actually mentioned in the book of Isaiah 33 times. Ironic, isn't it? Jesus passed away on the earth at 33, and there's 33 references to what Jesus' peace will do in your life in the book of Isaiah. And I'm going to start in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Most of the time, this is actually read at Christmas, but I'm going to read it here just to establish the thought. It says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word used there is actually the word shalom in the Hebrew. And it literally means complete. Completeness. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Kind of sounds like the Hebrew equivalent to tetelestai. Complete. Accomplished. Fulfilled. All done. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. It's the equivalent. He goes on and he describes, Isaiah describes the first Easter vividly 700 plus years before this event actually takes place. 
In Isaiah 53, it's considered one of the most messianic of all the chapters in the book of Isaiah. And it describes perfectly the sacrificial lamb that Jesus would become. It says in verse 3, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds... We're healed. There's two main thoughts here I want you to get before we move along. Two main thoughts here from this passage. Number one, we need to understand what Jesus has done, which we've been talking about for the last two Sundays. So if you missed them, listen to them online and you can catch up. But it also shows us that what Jesus has done has been done for us. He had you in mind. He was thinking of you every step of the way. He took our pain. He took our suffering. He literally took upon Himself our transgressions. And the Hebrew word literally is guilt. How many have ever lived in guilt? How many know that guilt never produces good things? Guilt always leads us to the wrong source. Right? It usually causes us to fall into a cyclical pattern of sin and just frustration. Trust me, I know I've been there. But it also says that Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. It's a big word. Most of us don't know it. Half the time I have to really look it up and think about it. It's simple kind of translation is sin, but in the Hebrew, it actually means punishment. And as I've been thinking about this all week, I've realized that not only do people do things to us, but one of the things that I've noticed more and more and more as a pastor is that in so many cases, so many believers take the role of the enemy and beat themselves up better than the enemy ever could. And what's interesting here is Jesus took both. He took the punishment you deserved, and He also took upon Himself the punishment of that condemnation that you carry and you live with. He took your punishment so that you can have peace. I want to share a cool little thought I shared last Sunday that you know part of Sandra and I's goal over the next little while is to, is to give everyone a really uh, fresh and new appreciation for the Old Testament. And we kind of joked last week that most of us in you know, church settings and in Christian settings, we love to kind of gravitate towards the New Testament, and we can understand that Jesus is relatable. We like the, uh, the New Testament. But we've lost a love and appreciation for the old. And uh, if you've ever been around our house for any length of time, you'll know that we love to talk about the symbolism and the prophetic pictures of the Old Testament and how it ties into Scripture. But some of you will remember from the first Easter story in Matthew 27, and we're going to read it here quickly, that there was an event that happened between one of Jesus' followers named Judas and Jesus himself. And, and, and an event that honestly was prophesied and foreshadowed hundreds of years earlier, that the Messiah would be betrayed by someone who he loved. It says this in verse 9, it says, Then what was filled, what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took... 30, the 30 pieces of silver that was usually that was actually the price that Judas got for the betrayal of Jesus. The value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed them, or directed me. And I thought about this, and if you're like me, I read that and I went, Huh? 
I'm like, what is he talking about? And so I decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little bit. And I actually went back into the Old Testament. And, I, and I, the phrase that really caught me in Matthew was this, the value of him who was priced. I read that, and I read it in different versions. And I'm like, what in the world are they talking about? And so I looked up my favorite book in the entire Old Testament, Leviticus, because it's so exciting. It's just so mesmerizing. It's what I go to bed with every night. Just kidding. All right. And I wanted to understand the value of, of what they're talking about. And what's interesting in the Old Testament is when an individual was sold, there was, according to Levitical law, it was talked about in Leviticus, but it's also talked about in Exodus, there's actually a price that is placed upon different people according to the Levitical law. So if a male was sold, or if a slave was sold, or if a woman was sold, there would be a certain price placed upon it. So in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 3, it gives away some of this law. It says, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to dedicate a person to the Lord by giving the equivalent value, set the value of a male between the age of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels or 50 pieces of silver according to the sanctuary shekel. Um, How old was Jesus? Was he male or female? What should he have been sold for? Oh, interesting. But it was 30. Exodus chapter 21. So according to law, he was worth 50 pieces of silver. Exodus 21 verse 32, it says, If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver, or in one version, 30 pieces of silver to the master of the slave. Jesus was betrayed for the price of a slave, not for the price of a man, who he was. That goes one step further. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 4. For a female set her value at 30 shekels or 30 pieces of silver. So Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, not the 50 that Old Testament law said he should have been betrayed for or sold for. And I've, I looked at that and I went, God, why did that happen? Why, what, am I, what are you trying to show us? And then it hit me this week as I was processing through. He chose to die as a slave so that he could save the woman, the church, the bride of Christ. So the only person he was thinking about when he was betrayed was not himself and was not Judas, who he's being betrayed to, or the Pharisees that were going to literally drop the hammer on him. But he understood it had to be fulfilled because who he had in mind was the church. That was the woman he had in mind. So you have to understand today, when Jesus comes and pays a debt, he pays it to the full. He not only pays it to the full, he becomes it to the full. He will take the position of a slave in order to save the church. Because that's who he's after. He paid for our bondage in full. In other words, he paid the slave price. In order to build his church up in peace, which was that, the price of a woman, the church, the bride of Christ. He was punished in our place. So you have to understand today, you're God's treasure. <laughs> you're God's treasure. They threw the $30 and threw it into a field that was called the field of blood, but for you today, it's called the field of treasure. Why? Because you're his treasure. 
He did it for you. When He revealed Himself after the resurrection, and I'm coming in for a landing here, and then we're going to pray. John chapter 20, the first connection point with the disciples after He rose again. Starting in verse 19, it says, That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you. Ah, nothing missing. Nothing broken. I got it. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his, hand, his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again he said, peace be with you. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. I fulfilled it. It's completed. It's for you. Then he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. In other words, I paid the price. Now I'm passing the baton. It's yours. Extend the kingdom of peace wherever you go. Amen? Then it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I've been forgiving of a debt I can never repay. And it's with that heart that we can forgive others. That's what God is asking us to do, even in this season. Forgive others, just as God has forgiven us. You know, it's interesting, 2,000 years ago, when Mary Magdalene found the tomb, the empty tomb for the first time, there was only thing... There was only one thing left in the empty tomb that day, and it was the grave cloths of Jesus, neatly fitted together. And you have to understand today that those grave cloths represent literally death. <laughs> it represented the death of Jesus. It represented the death of the Savior. But too many of us are going into the tomb, and the only thing that we're living in is the death of yesterday. But the response of the angels, who are you looking for? Why are you here? Why are you looking for Jesus? He's not here. You have to understand, Jesus isn't in that tomb anymore. We're not going to find Jesus in the tomb of death and disappointment and yesterday's regret. We're not going to find him there. That's where the enemy lives. He's saying, peace be with you. Now go and do. Go extend. Go be. That's what he's talking about. Colossians 2.13, I love this. It says this. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp. But now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. For we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.